Jesus. Lord, we just want to respond to you right now because you are here. The presence of the Lord is in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that where two or three are gathered together, that the word of God says that you are in our midst, that you are here. And as the song says, is the great I am. He's ever present. And there is not a power in hell. There is not a force that can even compare to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers in high and wicked places. And we serve a master. We serve a king. We serve a risen Savior that is way bigger than any of that. He's bigger than your past. He's bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your hurt. He's bigger than your failures. And his invitation to you is he's saying, I'm the great I am. I, I'm, not, I'm not just the God who was. I'm not the God who out there somewhere. I am the God who is intimately acquainted. I am here right now. And my invitation to you is to come to me. So wherever you're at, I encourage you just to open your heart to him. And I'm not saying try to put religious words to it or a prayer that you may have heard one day. Just be honest before him. God, I need you. God, I need your grace. I need your love. I need your power, Lord. I'm hurting. I'm going through this. I'm going through that because he is aware of what we are going through. I just want you to picture his hand outstretched to you saying, come. Come to me. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, who you, you who are heavy laden. Come to me, you who are burdened. You're hurting. You're struggling. Come to me. So just in the honesty of your own heart, I encourage you to come to him. Respond to him. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give you my burden. He said, cast your cares upon me. And then he follows it by such an intimate statement. He doesn't say, cast your cares upon me because that's what you're supposed to do. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. He cares for you. Doug had a word, uh, 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 he saw the two words rest assured, that you can assure, you can rest in the assurance of who you are in Christ. That you can rest easy in his hands. So I encourage you right where you're at. If that's you, and if you just, there's some things that you just need to say, I, I just need to come to the Lord in some areas. Would you just raise your hand? Some areas in my life, I just need to come to the Lord and I need to just honestly reach out to him. And Lord, I pray for these right now that have their hands raised. Jesus, thank you that you're so real, that you love them, that you care for them. Lord, more than my words, more than just saying stuff, Lord God, that you care about each person here. You deeply care for them. I pray, God, that you would touch them, Lord, whatever is going on. Whatever the heaviness of their heart, Lord, we stand in agreement with them and we ask, God, that you would take those burdens, that you would heal their hearts, you would touch them, you'd give them peace in the place of despair, you give them hope. Heal that place, oh God, heal that place, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. As Bruce was speaking, you know, Athena picks her songs, and the one song she sang was, it's all about the blood. And even as Bruce is saying, you know, here's your choice you get to make. And this, this picture that I saw was of a, like a root cellar with all the different jars. We've all been there maybe, and we can this, and we can that, and we put things on there. And this person was written through there trying to find which one they wanted. And there is only one. It's the one that says the blood of the Lamb.
and this person was grabbing that. It has to, you have to, we all have to go through the blood of the Lamb. That's the choice. If you didn't hear that, Randy had the word about just the blood of Jesus, you know, and we, we look at the sacrifice that Jesus made. It was a completed work, and she just said, you know, as the blood flows over us, it's more than just spot removal. It does a completed work inside and out. And we just simply receive it because it's a finished work. That's grace. That is mercy. And so, Lord, we receive the finished work of the cross. Lord, Wash us, Lord, spiritually. And I know if you're not used to that terminology, it can seem a little weird of washing us in the blood and it sounds kind of gross. But it's a spiritual mindset of the, 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 the price that Jesus paid on the cross, that his blood was shed for us. And Hebrews says this. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so our sin demands bloodshed and the death because the wages of sin is death and so our sin whether you've committed a big one or a small one and we can't compartmentalize this if Jesus said if, you, if you've broken one little part of the law you've broken the whole law so our sin demands death it demands bloodshed and Jesus said I'll take that for you I'll take your death penalty and I will hang on the cross and I will take the punishment that was over you upon myself. Lord, thank you for your completed work. We receive the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. And we honor you today, God. Come, we pray. Touch our hearts. We ask, God, that you continue to speak to us. In your precious name, we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Isn't God good? God is awesome, and uh, I just thank God for his presence that is here. Our kids can be dismissed at this time, and let's take a few moments, and why don't you greet someone, say hi to somebody, and uh, we're going to get ready for the word.
Check. Check one, two, check, 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 one, two, check, one, two, testing, one, two, check, one, two, check, check, testing, one, two, if you were napping, you're not now, testing, everybody hear me out there? All right, we're going to try this mic. We've been having some problems with it. If it starts ringing too much, I'll go to the other mic. We should have that hooked up to everybody, and if you fall asleep, that's what happens. There's kind of some nervous laughing there. I'm, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. It would wake people up for sure. That's exactly right. Testing one, two. Is it ringing too much? One way to keep your attention, too, just let it ring. Drove me crazy. Check, one, two. Is that okay, David, or should I move to the other one, or what do you think? We'll try this. Great to see you. You glad to be here? Yeah. I am, too. Thank the Lord that he is here. Uh, wouldn't be quite the same without him. Let's pray, and we'll get right into this. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are already speaking to our hearts. Lord, that we can come today, we can receive from you. Lord, that you have something to give each and every one of us. Lord, just, uh, just during worship as we were praying there at the end, Lord God, um, just that, that, that passage, come to me. Come to me, Lord, that, that just was hammering over, over my heart, my mind. And Lord, I want to come to you. I want to come to you this morning. Lord, I want to receive everything that you have for me. And so, God, we ask that you would come today and that, Lord, we would come to you. We would bring our burdens, we'd bring our hearts to you today. And Lord, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of ringing a little bit. Should I move to the other mic? Let's do that. Let's just go to the other mic. All right, we're ready. Thanks. Well, we gave it a shot. And we shot an air ball. Um, this will make sense. Um, the table coming, getting to the table is the title of my message today. It's pretty, I'm going to invite you to lunch afterwards, we can come up here. What's more amazing is uh, Taylor and Charlie got this up without something breaking, so I'm so happy about that. But today we're continuing our series in the, on the Sermon on the Mount, this great sermon that Jesus preached. He began his public ministry in Matthew. We have him going into the wilderness. He's, being, you know, he's been tempted by the enemy. Um, he, he comes out and he begins to teach his disciples. And we find this sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he is, he is depositing something in his followers, into his disciples' hearts, and he's teaching them about the kingdom that he is ushering in. And it's interesting, if you look at it, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts and he goes up to this mountainside and he's talking to his disciples, and that's what the beginning says. And it says, by the time it's over with, at the end of Matthew 7, it says the great multitude has surrounded him and they're wanting to hear what he has to say. And it even says this about the multitude, it says that they were... They were kind of in amazement and in awe of his teaching because it says he, he taught with authority unlike their teachers of religious law. And he was bringing authority. He was bringing in the kingdom of his father and he was ushering in a new paradigm, a new way of thinking, a doing things differently, differently than the world does them, doing things differently than what religion demands. And throughout this sermon, he is getting at our hearts and the hearts of man. And he was, he was questioning why they were doing what they were doing. And he was giving a distinction between what it really means to follow after God and be in his kingdom or be religious. 
He's ushering in this upside-down kingdom. And he begins teaching them. And we went through the Beatitudes. And his call in the Beatitudes really was two key words, is pure at heart and humility, approaching God and having a right heart before God and humbling ourselves before God. But ultimately, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving us a description of himself, more than just teaching, more than just words. Because, you know, you can just, and I've caught myself doing this because, you know, you, you preach a sermon, and you can sermonize a lot of things, and now I have to live it too. It's like, man, I don't just get to tell you guys, I get to live it myself. And a lot of times I'll prepare these messages. I'm so convicted sometimes, I have to come in here and pray and ask God to forgive me. But he is inviting us to know about himself. He's revealing himself. He's revealing more than just a sermon, more than just words. He's saying, if you catch the kingdom, you'll catch me. Because he describes himself. He, and he's saying, come and walk with me. Come in and live with me in relationship. And he's saying, whatever you do, I want you to, I want you to live for the audience of one. I want you to live for the audience of your Father in heaven. And we're going to be going there today about why we do what we do. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. But he teaches us through the sermon how to make an impact, how to be effective as his followers. And what he basically teaches us is he teaches us himself. And he said, to be great, you have to get a revelation of the kingdom that I'm bringing. We see it later on where he gives them example after example of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. You know, before he's crucified, he washes their feet. And he said, this is, this is what it means to be great, is to take on the form of a servant, not just any servant. The ones that washed the feet, that was the lowest servant in the house. And Jesus took on the form of a servant so we will be in Matthew 6 in a bit, but by uh, way of introduction, I want to look at another passage that I have up there, that, as you can see, that kind of parallels with where we're going today. Uh, this is another place in, in the Gospels, in Scripture, where Jesus is teaching about principles of this new kingdom that he was ushering in. Luke 14, if you want to turn there, you can. I'll read it to you in a moment. Verses 7 through 11 will key on those verses, but it's going to parallel with where we're going, and I want to spend just a few moments here in this place. But at the beginning of the chapter, it starts out that he's healed this man on the Sabbath day. And, you know, he would do that, that kind of thing, and, the, and that religious spirit would get angry with him because he, he was not going by the, the rules that they had set in place. And, you know, they would accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And you see them, they have the law, they have religion mastered, and yet they're missing the heartbeat of what is behind the law even and what is behind the kingdom of God. And so it starts out, he's healed this man on the Sabbath, and he's being watched. It says that they, in some, some translations, it says they were watching him intently. And so, didn't these guys have something better to do with their time? They just follow him around and watch him and say, you know, just wait for him to do something. Oh, he's working on the Sabbath. He healed a guy on the Sabbath. I can't believe that. He, you know, he's broken the law. You know, get rid of him. You know, one day his disciples, they, they pick heads of grain, they're hungry, and they, they pick some heads of grain off, off, you know, whatever they were grabbing and maybe wheat or something, and they, and they eat it just to get some nourishment and say they're, they're harvesting on the Sabbath. You know, can you believe these guys? And they would master uh, in the miners. And so they were offended. They're watching him intently. And so verse 5, he challenges them, and they say nothing. He then goes on to give a major principle of the kingdom of God. And he's saying this new kingdom was and is in direct conflict with religion. They were offended that he healed on the Sabbath. And then again, what they were doing and they, they do throughout the Gospels is they were majoring in the minors and they forgot about, what, about loving God and loving people. And so he's going to make this contrast here. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes this contrast. And I think throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus make this contrast of what it means to walk in relationship and what it means to walk in religion. Because the tendency for all of us is to slide over into religion. 
And there's two extremes of religion that Jesus, I think, is trying to get us away from. Number one is, the, the, the one extreme of religion that we can walk in is, is, is false humility. You know, I, I'm a good for nothing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slime, and I can never, you know, and, and never be enough, never be good enough. And, and, and that's a good revelation in a sense, but we can walk in this false humility, which actually doesn't help us to be free at all. And that's what the, the, the religious people of the day, they would put demands on people and say, you know, you can never be like us. Because look, I mean, look at us. Look how awesome we are. And that's, the, that's kind of the, the, the persona that they were putting out is how awesome we are. And you could never be up here and, you know, you commoners, you poor people down there, you know, you could never reach to us. And the people go, you know, oh, to be like you, you know, and they would walk around with their flowing robes and they would look so you know, holy, and uh, they would know the law, and they could quote the law like that, and it's just, oh, to be like them. And so that, that one extreme of religion puts you in a place where you could never quite get there. The other extreme is pride, and these guys mastered that completely. And Jesus is trying to get us away from those two extremes. So he gives them a parable to challenge why they did what they did. And, and, and you will hear him talking about the table. The table speaks of belonging. The table speaks of influence. The table speaks of identity. And he's going to say, you know, he's going to give them this parable, and I'm going to read that in just a moment. But he says, you know, when, you're, when you are invited to a wedding feast, and what you do when you're invited to a wedding feast, and there's a, a parallel passage from 2 Samuel chapter 9 when we have David and this guy named Mephibosheth. Some of you are familiar with that story. I'm not going to give you the whole history, but you know David was best friends with Jonathan, Saul's son, Jonathan. I mean, they were deep, deep friends, loved each other deeply. Jonathan dies, and later on, this is where David is reigning, and he says to his servant Ziba, and he says, is there someone in Saul's house or, or Jonathan's house that I can show kindness and we can show favor to? And they said, well, he... Saul has a grandson. It's the son of Jonathan. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, when he was little, they were trying to flee because Israel was being taken over. The nursemaid dropped him, and it broke both of his legs, and Mephibosheth was crippled in both of his feet. And so David sends for him, and he said, I want to show kindness to Mephibosheth. And so he brings Mephibosheth in. And Mephibosheth just kind of hits, you know, kind of crouches down. He said, you know, what do you want with a dead dog like me? I mean, that's literally what he's saying. And David says, you will have a place at my table. And, you know, Mephibosheth goes with, you know, kind of all those reasons. That's that one extreme of, you know, false humility of all the reasons why I, I don't belong at your table. You know, I'm a, I'm a dead dog. I'm kind of lower, lower than a dead dog, and I don't really deserve to be at your and David kind of cuts him off, you know, and, and, and David said, you will always have a place at my table because there was a covenant between David and Jonathan. And what he's saying to Mephibosheth, he said, you will always have a place at my table because it's not about you. It's about my covenant with Jonathan. It's because I loved your dad. You will always have a place here. And so that, that place, the table speaks of belonging an identity. And what this meant for Mephibosheth, this is going to change his life forever. He went from a, you know, this, this crippled man that lived way out in the middle of nowhere to sitting at the king's table. And he says, because of Jonathan, because of the covenant with Jonathan, you have a place. So let's read the text and we'll go f kind of further into it here and then we'll go into Matthew 6. So he's He's healed this guy, and uh, they're offended. And he t even tells them, he said, you know, when one of you has a, you know, has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, you would immediately help him out. And he's saying, you know, we, you know, we're, we, we want to heal this man. This is a, a day for good. Then in verse 7, we're going to pick it up here, 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. So they're kind of clamoring for the, the head seat. He said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come in and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we have a choice to make, and, and Jesus is making this distinction. You can, you can, you can put your place in, yourself in a place of position, or you can allow God to do it. And so he's dealing with them in this place of self-righteousness, self-promotion, and pride. And these, 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 all three of these take the place of presumption. And so he's calling them out because what they have done is they're here. They are offended that he's healing on the Sabbath. And so now they're going to major in the minors and he getting mad at him that he's healing on the Sabbath. And so he calls out their heart because he sees them clamoring to a, a place at the table. And they're kind of rushing to the table. And, and he's saying, wait a second. When you're invited to take the lowest seat, don't take the place of presumption. Because self-righteousness, self-promotion, and pride, these are rooted in insecurity. And so Jesus, again, he's, he's dealing with two areas. First, the idea of salvation and belonging. And we need to understand something, that through Christ, we have been invited to the table and the kingdom of God. This is grace. We can't earn a spot at the table. We simply receive him. We receive his sacrifice as we talked about the blood of Jesus. We receive him in a place of surrender and humility. Self-righteousness and good works won't get us a place at the table. And so he's, he's making a distinction here that, that, first of all, salvation, we have been invited to a wedding feast. And just because, just, just like paralleled with David looking at Mephibosheth said, because of my covenant with your dad, you have a place at the table. Jesus is saying this, because of my covenant with my father, you have a place at my table. You can't earn it. You can't work yourself into a place at the table. You've been invited to the wedding feast. And there's, so there's a distinction between salvation. And in a moment, we'll get into a place where, where the religious the religious, they, they put value on positions. But first we need to understand that through Christ, we are invited to the wedding feast. We have a place at his table. And the cross was what purchased that place for us. And the song says, not for good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not because we're good that he died. It's because he's good. We're not good at all. And it's because he is good. And so again, self-righteousness and good works won't get us there. Um, the demands of the religious instead of the gift of salvation. And that's what the religious said. You had to earn your way up. You have to work hard to get there. We cannot work hard enough to get to a place at his table. We've been invited. Our spot has been paid for. And so the second area that he talks about is in the kingdom is kingdom influence or impact. And what Jesus wants us to know in this parable is that he wants us to get our identity in him and not the seat. He wants our identity to be him and him alone. That's why he said when you're invited to a wedding feast, in other words, everyone's invited to the wedding feast, Immediately, we, 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 we kind of start hanging on our own self-righteousness, and, and we start clamoring for a position. And Jesus said, your position's secure. Your position is secure. Have your identity in me, not I, your identity in the seat. That's why you can take the seat in the wedding banquet. You can take the seat of humility. Because you have a head table at a wedding. You guys have all been to the wedding. And then you have seats in the back. Everybody's at the wedding feast. Everyone's there. And so our place at the wedding feast is secure. And we need to have our identity in him and not the seat. And so this idea of influence and impact, see the religious 
And the proud person is trying to push themselves to the front to be noticed. They value position. They think positionally by the world standard that my value is somehow associated with my position. And Jesus is just kind of wipes all of that out. That's why he can be the king of kings and wash feet. That was the, the distinction. This is the upside-down kingdom that he was bringing into play. And so they thought positionally that, you know, that, that's why they, they would want to be honored in front of people. They would almost honor themselves in front of people. I want to be up front. I want to be noticed. I want to be on stage. I want to be the leader. I want to have a visible ministry so I can be validated and seen by people. I want to be endorsed by the masses, and this is what the religious spirit does. Because then what Jesus is saying is all about the heart is, is if I can't get my heart squared away, my next step is to at least make you think that I've got my heart squared away. You see, what, you see that difference? Then I don't really have to have my heart in a pure place. That's why Jesus said the pure in heart will see God. Where's your heart at? And so if I'm struggling with getting my heart right with God, then I just get religious and I just make you think I have a pure heart. And Jesus is cutting through all of that. And that is why the religious spirit clamors for the places. Look at me. I'm at the head of the table. And Jesus is trying to say, you know what? You have a place even if you're sitting in the back. Because your identity is in me, not the seat. And I, and I tell you... I. I and what Jesus says at the end of this, too, is if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. So the greatest way not to be seen of men the way you really want to be seen of men is to try to be seen of men. It just works against you. And then what he says is, here's how you should do it. Here's the way to get the kingdom. Here's a kingdom revelation. Before we get to Matthew 6, he's saying, what I want you to do is, 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 is to catch this. Again, more than just sermon, more than words, I want you to catch the revelation. Here's how you should do it. Take the lowest seat because you already belong. The least important and allow God to notice you. Play for the audience of one. Because he sees. He notices. He doesn't measure like the world measures. And we have to be sure of that. His kingdom is different. And throughout this whole sermon, what he's saying is if you want to make the greatest impact, you want to have a great influence, here's how you do it. Faithfulness. And these are not those, you know, we, we, we want to look at, you know, greatness equals preaching to the masses. Greatness is having the microphone. Guess what? It's not that great. And Jesus focuses more on faithfulness, heart issues. He says, you want, to make a, you, man, you want to have influence? Be faithful. Even That whole idea in the Gospels, remember where he says, if you be faithful in the little things, I'll make you ruler over greater things. Be faithful where you're planted. Be faithful where you're at. Serve faithfully. And that's why whether you're up here with the mic or you're cleaning the toilets, God does not put a value on the roll, he says, are you faithful? So he's faithful. Humility, true humility. Teachability. And a life of honor. God looks for those things and he says, you will make an impact if you live this way. See, the religious front and the facade is to put put out there what is not really real. It's to do everything but be authentic. And that's why Jesus challenged them, and you've heard me quote this before, but Matthew 23, I tell you, read Matthew 23 and, 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 and just kind of meditate on that, and, and if that doesn't help you not be religious, nothing's going to help you not be religious because Jesus calls them out. And they, they wore the long robes. It's kind of like today, the three-piece suit. You know, I got, I got a pretty tie on, but I tell you what, the tie is no reflection of my heart. 
And Jesus called them out. He said, you know, you, they, they go, they, they walk about in the, in the marketplace with these long robes on, and they have these great words, and they can, they can spout out the law, and they can give you nuggets of wisdom, and they can quote from Solomon, and they can look so good, and they, they have, the, uh, you know, they have the, the, the scripture boxes on their head, and they look so great, and they look so pretentious. He said, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from God. Inside, they are filled with dead men's bones. Inside is corruption and greed and lust and lying and all kinds of manner of stuff that's inside them, and they have perfected the outward. And that religious facade is to say at least, at least the crowds, and it says that they, they, they love to be called you know, teacher in the marketplace. They love to be lauded by the masses. They love to be praised by the people. And Jesus says, that is not the point. They've missed it. And they focused on outward conformity without inward transformation. And Jesus was always trying to get to the heart. He's trying to transform us from the inside out. That's why he says, if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will naturally be clean. Start on the inside. It's interesting. Um, my mom had heard this to be true. In our hometown, there were people that were, you know, and, and there's a, it's, it's kind of church political where we're from, Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, it's the headquarters of the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. That's what I grew up in. Kind of the headquarters are there. It's kind of the Mecca of the Church of God, you know. I'm just kidding. That's not the Mecca. Um, and so there's a, real, there's a real political, church political feel over that town. We grew up in it. We saw the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. But there is kind of this positional facade that people kind of go after and and, and, and so my mom knew this to be true uh, from, I think, from another friend. But people were, were buying these gigantic homes, and, and inside they would have lawn furniture because they couldn't afford the furniture in, inside the house. But because of wanting to be seen or important, you know, and, and trying to make a statement with the house, the type of house they lived in, it was just a big facade, and really they're struggling financially and sitting in lawn chairs in their living rooms. And it's all kind of because of this religious feel, and I have to look important. I have to put forth a, something that at least looking great, that we have it all together. I'm like, what a prophetic picture of us. Prophetically pathetic is what I like to call that. That we put this thing out there, and it's, and 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 and. and we're trying to get people to, 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 to think that I'm okay and I have it all packaged and I don't struggle with anything. And God is saying, be honest, be transparent, be humble. And that's why I think he grieved over the religious and, and saying, you know, if you guys would just catch it and just come out of that, you would walk in a freedom that you've never known before. Enough with the, the facade. Be honest, be transparent, be real before God. Repent and come to, to the Lord and, and, and really walk in freedom. And so this thing of, of taking the lowest seat and letting God notice you, that, uh, you can go back to David. Where did, where did God find David when he called him to be king? You know, Jeremiah the prophet goes to Jesse's house, and he's told that one of, one of Jesse's sons, I get all this names, Jesse, one of Jesse's sons is going to be king. And so, you know, they, they, they line them all up, minus David, the youngest one who is out tending his father's sheep. He's not even considered by his own father. Now, that's a wound. That's painful. And David could have been offended by that. He could have been sulking and saying, you know, my father didn't even consider me. This is... But you know where we find him? We find him tending his father's sheep faithfully. We find him in a place of faithfulness and a place of worship. He would sit out with those sheep, and he would write worship songs to the Lord, and he would just give his heart to the Lord, and he's out in the backside of the wilderness. And God finds him. God can find you. 
All he's looking for is faithfulness and humility of heart. And so all these boys are lined up minus David. And God rejects each one. And then God even says, you know, God, God says to, to uh, Samuel, I said Jeremiah, didn't I? Scratch that. Samuel, people are going to, Jeremiah. Didn't he come later? Yes, he did. See, and if you're listening, that was a facade, wasn't it? No, I just completely made a mistake. I, I was not going to see if you were listening at all. I blew it. So Isaiah the prophet, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Samuel the prophet, looking at all these guys, God says this. God says, man looks at the outward. So even in this, even in this mindset in the Old Testament, God is still looking at people's hearts. He said, man always looks at the outward. We, do you have it together? How's your resume? Look at that. Oh, how awesome you are. We're going to promote you. And God says, scratch all that. Look at his heart. Look at this young boy who loves God with all of his heart. He's out worshiping, in the, and he's in the backside of the wilderness, out there tending his father's sheep faithfully. And God says, I found him. And so that's when Jesus says, take the lowest seat. You're already welcome to the, the wedding banquet. You're in. It's not an idea of, you know, the salvation part of it. You're already in. Just take the lowest seat. Let God find you. Don't clamor to the front. And so God found him when no one else considered him. And so this leads us to Matthew 6. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. All God's people said, Amen. I'm not going to read it word for word. I'm just going to touch in what Jesus is conveying to us as we look at this idea of what it means to be religious or walk in a relationship because you're going to see Jesus as he is ushering in this new kingdom. He is, he is adamant about us catching the revelation that this is all about a relationship with him. And so basically in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he's kind of saying, why do you do what you do? How do you make an impact? He's testing our hearts and motives and asking us questions. I thought Wolfie did such a great job last week. If you were here and you missed that, get the CD. It was fantastic. He talked about God asking us questions, and here we have Jesus asking us questions, basically. He's, he's looking at his disciples, and, and, and he, you're going to hear him say, when you pray, pray this way. In other words, he's saying, why are you praying? Why are you doing the things that you do? And so listen to his principles and his heart as he teaches us about his upside-down kingdom and how we find him. And so again, this is an invitation to us to be walking with him in, the, in, in his kingdom at his table and how to be effective. And so verse 1, he talks about, he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. It's kind of a common theme here. Why are you doing your acts of righteousness? Why are you doing what you do? When you do your acts of righteousness, you're making sure that somebody is watching you so, boy, they can know that you're, you're doing good. Verses 2 through 4, he talks about giving. When you give. And that's whether you give to the church, give to the needy. When you give. And Jesus is kind of getting to the heart of this. Why do you give? Are you trying to earn something from God? You can't earn anything. He loves you deeply. You have a place. You can't earn his favor. You can't earn his love. He loves you deeply. But why do you give? Is it to be seen of others? And what Jesus wants us to do, he wants us to give out of a cheerful heart because we love him. It goes back, and all of these go back to loving him in relationship with him. We give because we love Jesus, and we are in kingdom partnership with him. And that's what Jesus says. He says, when you give, he gives this little thing about don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It's kind of funny because, you know, they usually kind of know what each other is doing. But he said, give for the right reasons. Because when you give out of love for me, he said, my father sees you. My father sees what you do. He, he sees your heart. You know, just like, just like David, just like the Pharisees, just like he sees the heart of it. He saw when the Pharisees were given to be seen of men. And that's why he's given this contrast. 
And they would give and they would make a big display and, you know, put their arm around this needy person and say, today I will be giving to this person. And, and, and he says, don't, don't, don't announce it on the street corners. And he's kind of making this almost a, oh, this exaggeration, but that's what they would do. When you give, do it because you love Jesus. You love his kingdom. You want to be a part of his kingdom. And he says, my father will see what you do. Verses 5 through 13, he says, when you pray. And then you can hear the question behind this. Why are you praying? Do you ever think about that? When you pray, why are you praying? Are you trying to get something from God? Do we only pray when we have need? Do we pray when we're in an emergency and we're trying to get him to bail us out of something? Do we pray to try to convince people that we are holy and we try to have the right words to pray? And he said the Pharisees would do this. They would stand in public squares and they would yell prayers. And it's kind of silly. But he said, why are you praying? Pray because you love him. Pray because you want relationship with him. I love that it says, tell him what you need. He, he's already, he, go ahead and tell him what you need, but he's already aware of what you need before you even ask. So then we go, well, why do we ask? Because he wants relationship. He wants relationship. He wants us to talk to him. And he even goes after the, that religious spirit about babbling on and on. That's what one of the translations says. Some of the religious, they just babble on and on and on as to, Try to make other people try to get God to twist his arm. I don't know what they're doing, but they're just bad. Just have relationship with God in prayer. Pray out of relationship. And then, he's, uh, and then he says this, and we get the Lord's prayer. He said, when you pray, don't, you know, don't babble on and on. Just tell God what you need. Be in relationship with him. In fact, pray this way. And you know what? He never intended this to be this rote prayer that we just act like robots and go, our Father who art in heaven. He didn't do that. I'm not saying it's wrong to do the Lord's Prayer. I pray it sometimes. And, but he did not intend it for there to be this kind of rote, robotic prayer. He was teaching us something even about how we pray. Our Father. I mean, you could stop right there. God in heaven is intimate with us. And Jesus was ushering in this idea of the kingdom saying, Jehovah God, the one that we tremble before, the one that we can't even really mention his name, he's our father in heaven. And so he's, he's ushering in even this, it's kind of almost a crazy idea of, did he just call God father? And so you can, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, he's intimate. He says, hallowed be your name. Uh, take time to thank him and praise him for all that he's done and for who he is. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the prayer of trust that we can, everything is in his hands. He's in control. He's sovereign and we can bring things into his, into his control and say, God, I trust you with this. I surrender this. I, I give you the driver's seat of this part of my life. And I'm struggling with this. And it's a constant thing of your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a freedom in that. And then he goes on, give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need today. We need him every day. Relationship is about the day-to-day. -day. The word of God is called the bread. Give us today our daily bread that we just meditate on scripture and hear from his heart. Then he talks about repentance and forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. That's powerful. He actually repeats himself about forgiveness again later. He says, lead us not in the way of temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, don't, don't be, let me be led by circumstances, but be led by him. Let me follow him instead of having him follow me. And then verses 14 through 16, he talks about the command to forgive. And this is not a suggestion. And he actually, this is very, very powerful. Because he says, forgive others. 
For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Forgiveness is huge, and unforgiveness is equally huge. Forgiveness sets your heart free. And when we refuse to forgive, we're in dangerous waters. And I know that some of you had endured unmentionable things. And I'm not trying to lighten that or say that that's, you know, just kind of down here somewhere and it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. But for the sake of Christ, you have to extend forgiveness because you look at the cross and we've been forgiven so much. Verses 16 through 18, he says, when you fast. And you can see the question behind it. Why are you fasting? He said, don't, don't disfigure your faces, you know, and they would look real pious and religious, you know, limping and, you know, disheveled. I'm fasting. Yeah, that's me, fasting, because I'm anointed and I'm holy. He said, don't do that. Wash your face. Don't let people know that you're fast. Just fast, because you know what? He said, again, my, the Father in heaven sees you. You fasting to get to God like you more? He can't like you any more than he does. Is it to be admired by people? Are you trying to twist God's arm fast because you love him and you want to set aside time to be with him? And again, Jesus repeats, your Father in heaven sees you in secret. He knows. Verses 19 through 24, he says, don't lay up your, for yourself treasures on the earth where moth and, and, and moth, moth, that's moth and rough. That's rough, rust and moth put together. He said rust and moth destroy. But what he's saying is make eternal investments. What are eternal investments? People's lives, touching others, not thinking of just yourself, taking up your cross, put aside your selfish ambition that Jesus says in other places. Make an eternal investment into the kingdom and other people's lives. Don't just store up for yourself, you know, these, these barns and stuff that filled up for yourself that's just going to go away. Investments for me. But think of others, Philippians 2, Paul says and repeats, put Put others before yourself, and Jesus constantly talked about that. Make investment in people's lives. That's eternal investments. That's the things that when you get to heaven, it will be gold. You cannot burn that up. And then verses 25 through 32, he gives us a word and he says, do not worry. Do not worry. God knows what you need. This is where he says that. And he's inviting us to a place of loving him and trusting him. Don't worry about tomorrow. Because he ties that in with loving money. Because here's what I think is the tie here that Jesus is trying to say. If you love money and money becomes your God, or if you're thinking of just yourself and it's about you all the time and you're so me-oriented, this will cause fear, worry, and frustration in your life. Self-focused meism will cause worry, fear, and frustration. So he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Live day to day. Love him. Trust him. And then he gives us kind of the, you know, it's not that this was a closing statement because he goes on, but he kind of closes this thought and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Seek him. Seek his kingdom. Walk in relationship with him. And that is the key to getting to his table and making an impact for his kingdom. And then in verse 34, he repeats not worrying, living day to day in relationship with him. So we have a place in Christ at the table. If you belong to Christ today, you are in the wedding feast. And so his call to us today is to be faithful, be humble, be teachable, filled with honor, seeking his kingdom. I'm going to have Athena come up and I'm going to just play some music. So I want to have an invitation before we leave today, and I, I want to just invite you to come to the Lord. 
Now allow the Lord to speak to our hearts today that this whole thing, this, this idea of this Sermon on the Mount, this, uh, the text for today is Jesus saying, you have a place with me, come. Your place is not going to be found being religious. Your place is not going to be found trying to say the right things, trying to do the right things, trying to put on a facade, trying to convince other people. It's not going to be how holy or how slick you pray. It's not going to be because you give to this or that. It's going to be because of your heart. It's going to be because of humility and teachability and faithfulness to him. So my, my question to us is this. Has, has your relationship with the Lord turned religious in some way? Do you find yourself praying out of kind of religious duty and you've forgotten about love? As Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus in Revelation, and, he, and here's what he says to them. He said, you know, I, I see your works and they were doing some great things. I mean, they were giving to the poor. They were doing a lot of ministry from their church, and it looked like it was just, it was a real happening place. And so Jesus doesn't even say that that doesn't matter. He said, no, I, I see your works. I, I see what you're doing, but here's the problem. At some point along the way, you left your first love. You, you've forgotten about love. You've forgotten about relationship. You've forgotten this, this whole thing is about intimacy with Christ and your walk with me. You, you forgot that. And folks, it can happen to any of us. Because when we get offended by certain things, usually that means is we, we, we've gotten self-centered and we've forgotten about loving him and loving others. And I, I'm encouraging you, as I would encourage myself, to, to really evaluate your heart and say, Lord, has there been a part of this relationship that has turned religious? You know, my prayer is just kind of filled with getting through prayer. I read the Bible because that's what a good Christian person's supposed to do is read the Bible. And you've forgotten that you want to do it out of love and knowing him. And he wants us to be confident in who he has created us to be as his children. He's inviting this place of intimacy at the table with him. And so I want to invite you today to just be able to remove the facades, the religiosity, maybe the, the areas where it's become very religious to you. And I want you to simply come to Jesus today. He says, come to me. Come to me, find freedom. Come to me, find peace. Come to me, find healing. Come to me, you find joy. Because it's not found in religion, folks. It's found in a man. His name is Jesus, and he purchased it for us. So I'm going to invite you to come if you want. Um, don't feel under any pressure to do so, but... Uh, I encourage you not to leave until you feel like that you have some way drawn close to him and had him just touch your heart. There's some things that you need to get right. Get right with God. There's some things you need to repent of. Get Repent of them. There's freedom in that. If you need to go, I understand. God bless you today. I hope you have an awesome day. But know that he is here for you. So as they play, I'm just going to open the front up here. You can stay in your seat if you want to, but... Find some time alone with God. God bless you today. Lord, we just want to say, God, that we love you so much. God, help our hearts. God, forgive us when we get religious. God, forgive me. I, I, I can operate in that and so quickly. Lord, help us to find joy where David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Lord, I think sometimes we forget about what salvation means, what the cross, that you did it out of love. Lord, renew the joy, renew the love 
Forgive us that we've forgotten our first love, that we drift away from that so easily. So, Lord, we respond to you by coming today. In Jesus' name.